you know, we're not our best selves if we aren't well taken care of and well rested and well loved. So I want them to feel that. And I do recognize how that that is not common, that that is not a common approach. But I feel like if we're going to be true to our values as a firm, then we have to live that in the way that we do the work. Uh, and people have to be able to come to this work as their full selves. Welcome to Queer Hustle, where we talk to the hottest up-and-coming queer entrepreneurs about growing businesses, creating dream lifestyles, and taking care of each other. Your host, Michelle Coyle, sits down to work together to explore what's possible when you approach business with full authenticity. Hey everybody, I'm Michelle Coyle, and this is Queer Hustle, where we teach queer entrepreneurs how to start up and scale and showcase awesome queer entrepreneurs that we know so that you can learn from their journey. I'm really excited to have Carol McDonald on today from Meridian Solutions, multi-passionate entrepreneur and all-around badass, very busy lady, very flattered that you took the time to talk to me today. Carol, you want to introduce yourself to the crew? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, Carol McDonald, like you said, I am the founder and CEO of Meridian Solutions, which is a social impact communications firm based in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm also a partner in a creative agency called 76 Words. We make television ads for elections and uh, progressive causes. That's a little about me, quarantining here in, uh, in Northeast DC. Shout out to Riggs Park, my neighborhood. And I, and I believe that a little birdie told me you just started a third business as well, you crazy person. What is that? I started a third business with two of my two partners in crime called Black Girl Basil, um, which focuses on highlighting Black women, queer, trans, and gender nonconforming artists, collectors, and curators. And we we normally have an event at Art Basil in Miami every December, but because of COVID, we're taking the show online, and actually now it's it's growing. So we're we're preparing for a big online convening three days long in December. So cool. And Carol, always biting off more than you can chew and chewing it out of stubbornness <laughs> after my own heart. I'm the same way. I get it. Tell me, let's talk, let's talk about that because what compels you? Because I know you're so busy. What is it that, what's the bug? What's deep inside your heart that keeps making you want to start new businesses? What's the bug? Well, some of it is there's a, there's a need out there in the world that needs to be filled and no one's filling it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I can do that. Or a lot of times I feel like, I don't know that I know how to do that, but I know the people who need to be brought together to do this. It's a little bit of, I feel like I feel fortunate that I can think beyond barriers and just really embrace possibility. And I kind of think like, well, if it doesn't work, well then fuck it, then it doesn't work, right? But if it does work, then it's going to be awesome. So that really drives me every day. Like I feel so, like I wake up every day like, yes, mostly overwhelmed by my to-do list. And I write these lists down and I'm like, I know I'm not going to do all this shit today. Like, I know it's not going to happen, but I'm going to (laughs) try. I think it's possible. What if I hire more staff or get more people engaged? Uh, Because these are all things that need to, you know, that I feel like need to happen. So I don't know. It's it's probably a little bit of a sickness. I mean, it's definitely a little bit of a sickness, but it's also helping people. It's helping the world. So, you know, you know, we love it. We'll allow it. I, I love this concept. There's worse ways to be sick than this way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I got the same sickness. That's the only reason I can say it to you uh, with a straight face. I think I love this concept of like the, the huge to-do list. And if I get 75% of it done, 
you know, then I got a lot of shit done today, right? It's like a shoot for the moon, land among the stars kind of a. It does require, and I think this is a big shift that I just had to make in my brain space, right? Like it used to be that I had these ambitious to-do lists because like I felt I wasn't good enough and I had to do all these things to prove that I was good enough. And I don't have that anymore. So now I, I still have my ambitious to-do list, but I'm like, ah, I did a lot of shit today. I did some good stuff. And, you know, everything else, it'll get done. It'll get there. So I think I'm a little bit less, I have less anxiety around it all and less sort of a need to prove myself. Now I'm just like doing big things. We're doing fun things. And, you know, if it doesn't get done, well, there's always tomorrow. Or another I love it. Like I've seen such a big shift and I've known you for a few years now. I've seen such a big shift in you over those, those couple of years. I mean, uh, and, and former client of mine, obviously super, super proud uh, of what you've been doing. But part of what, you know, when, when I first met you, you were doing the crazy things. Like I remember you posting on Facebook and being like, you know, I think I might've twisted my ankle, but I'm going to work anyway for four more weeks before I get it looked at. Cause there's just no time. And then to have to, and I was like, Carol, I'm like in your DMs, like, Carol, please go to the doctor. Like you're, you're, you're freaking me out. And then to now when it's, you know what, my whole staff is going to go to a four day work week. And you know what, like, I'm going to take a fucking vacation. I'm going to spend time with my kid and like, this is going to happen. And, and I'm still going to get all this stuff done. But if I don't, these other things are priority. And I can't, you know, I can't put that over myself, my own health, my family, my staff's health. Tell me about that shift. And what was kind of the catalyst for you? What was, was there like a one moment or did it kind of come over time? And how are things now versus how things were then for you? I think a little bit, a little bit of it came over time. And then I had a huge awakening like early last summer because I just sort of had, looking back on it now, it is probably what you would call a mental break, right? Where I was just really in a bad place. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, I am probably a little bit depressed and I should go, like, I've always been in therapy, right? But I was like, I should go to a psychiatrist. Like, maybe I need, like, even a little bit more help. And, you know, so I'll do that. And got diagnosed. And she, like, called me back in the office to, like, read me my diagnosis. And she said, you have severe depression, anxiety, PTSD, and ADD. And I was blown away. I was like, wait, what? And then she, you know, and she kind of went through and pointed at these are the things that led to that diagnosis. And that really made me sit back on my heels. The, the second part of that is, you know, because I, you know, I've worked in abortion politics. I'm like, no stigma, no stigma, right? So I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell my people that are close to me. And what really surprised me was that no one was surprised. Like, I was surprised to hear this news. No one in my life. They were like, yeah, that tracks. And I was like, really? So it made me think about like, well, how am I, how have I been moving through and, and navigating? And, you know, I mean, occasionally friends like you will wave their hand and say, hey, hey, <laughs> stranger danger. Like, what are you doing over there? Reflect. I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> But to, to hear that reflected back, I was like, oh, I have to do this differently. Now, I feel really fortunate that my diagnosis came three weeks before I had a planned vacation, three weeks in Europe, and I had my mom and my daughter with me. And so basically on that trip, I slept 12, 14, 16 hours a day. 
normally when I go, you know, because we go every summer, normally we have like a packed schedule, we go hither and thither, we have activities. All I did was sleep. And then my mom hung out with my daughter. And then when I, whenever I woke up in the middle of the afternoon, I'd like roll out of bed and I'd go hang out with them a little bit. It was very chill, like super laid back. And two weeks into that trip, I started feeling calm. It took a few weeks. And I was like, oh, so that was another like aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. Now I don't fuck around anymore with my sleep. When I'm tired at the end of the night, I go to bed. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. So again, but yeah, if it doesn't get done, go into bed, wake up in the morning, start over again. A lot of these things roll over. It's all good. One of the interesting things about working for yourself or a shift from going from working for other people to working for yourself is if you're working for other people, at least if you have a a good manager, which I know people in politics always laugh when I say that, but at least if you have a good manager, your, your workload is kind of regulated for you, right? There's somebody saying, okay, here's probably what you can handle. and I'm going to meet out, you know, a certain amount of tasks to you. Um, and then when you are in business for yourself, it's suddenly like, okay, everything needs to be done. The to-do list is endless. You know, how do you prioritize? How do I prioritize? That's a different question or that has a different answer today than it did maybe three months ago or six months ago or a year ago, because now I have folks that can take pieces and run with them. And really the priority just becomes checking in with them, making sure they have what they need, answer any questions if they have any, right? So there's that. I still have a little bit of like, okay, well, this is on fire today, so I'll take care of that. And if you're not on fire, then I'll catch you later. And it's interesting because not like, everybody thinks that their sense of urgency is unique. It's like, oh, everybody else is on on this sort of, you know, on this rhythm, but my stuff is really important. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, everybody is running like this. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to not respond to that. Like I actually asked, I'm like, somebody gonna die if this doesn't happen today? Like, I know you want it today. I know your donor wants it today, but like, what's the impact here? And then I, and I kind of have to just say like, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Part of that I think is, is, is cultural and we're taught that, but this is how we have to work. And somebody said a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm not working at the pace of white supremacy anymore. Mm. I was like, oh, ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. There it is. So I sometimes say that to my clients and they're like, wait, what? Like, no, no, no. I mean, I hear that you feel it's urgent. I get that. I'm not belittling that or, you know, uh, diminishing that. But it's going to be all right. Right. Like, I understand that that's important to you. And uh-huh. also... I have my boundaries, right? You, 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 you're obviously doing like a much, 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 uh, or you're approaching this very differently when it comes to setting boundaries yeah. around your work than you were a few years ago. And I love that that kind of self-love and self-care has not only come to, into your own experience, but in the way that you now manage your staff and are making it a priority for them to yeah. take time off and care. Why is it important for you to make sure that your staff has time to take care of themselves? Because, well, a number of reasons, right? I mean, I think one, you know, we're not our best selves if we aren't well taken care of and well rested and well loved. So I want them to feel that. And I do recognize how, that that is not common, that that is not a common approach. But I feel like if we're going to be true to our values as a firm, then we have to live that in the way that we do the work. Uh, And people have to be able to come to this work as their full selves. 
you know, we're not so much in the business of products, although that certainly is, you know, that comes with the territory. But what we offer is a unique lens and a unique perspective. And that requires our brain and our heart and our soul that has to be tended to. So for me, that is, I kind of lead with that. Uh, and it, it informs everything about how, how I run the firm. I've been really focusing on that, like slow down to speed up mm-hmm. lately as well. And it is, it's about giving yourself that brain space and that heart space and that, that inspiration. I love that so much. And I love that you're bringing the, the neuroatypicality into it too. I mean, I have ADHD and anxiety as well. You know, the, uh, the Venn diagram of people that are uh, entrepreneurs and have ADHD is like a circle. Uh, that's right. It's where, you know, we're, we're suited to it. And, and I like to think of it more as like a difference than a disability, right? But it's like we're suited to it because we're able to kind of work at our own pace and lean into our strengths. And if we're nocturnal, we can work overnight or whatever it is. But then when you come into managing other people, you kind of get back into, okay, there has to be a flow. There has to be a rhythm here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how do you manage taking care of yourself and what you need with maybe what other people need or if they work differently than you. Understanding that at the basis of this, you want to create a culture, a work culture that's different than the larger culture. Then you said like, we're not, we don't want to work at the pace of white supremacy. I want to create, at least in my microcosm, Mm -hmm. something a little bit different here. Or, you know, we're going to work at the speed of white supremacy for, you know, a limited amount of time. (laughs) Like, Every even year for three months. <laughs> less white supremacy than we had last year, and then we're making progress. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> when you talk about bringing your full self to work, I mean, obviously, this is a is a is a show about queer entrepreneurship. We, and a lot of the time, when when I'm doing videos or advertising or anything, a lot of the comments I get are like, "What does this have to do with business? Like, why the fuck does it matter if you're queer? What's your sexuality have to do with anything?" We talk a lot about how people, especially people that have been marginalized in corporate America, you know often turn to entrepreneurship to kind of get what nobody was going to give them. Mm -hmm. What does it mean when you say showing up as my full self as an entrepreneur and also for your staff showing up as as their full selves? I assume part of that means showing up authentically in your own identities as well. Can you talk about how that intersects for you with work and how you think about creating that space for the people who work for you? I think part of your question is, is what actually is the definition of queerness? Because to me, it's sure, it's about sexuality, but it's also about challenging oppressive systems to me. Like to me, it's queerness is about challenging white supremacy and patriarchy and extractive capitalism. You know, those systems benefit from us feeling less than whole. Mm-hmm. That is, in fact, that, that, that is, that's the kryptonite, right? That's the energy that, that those systems need in order to thrive. And so in order to subvert that, being able to show up as your full self and being authentic is core to what we, you know, what I, it's core to the culture that I'm trying to create. So I lost track of your question somewhere in there. That's okay. No, but I think, I think we're getting the beat back, which is there's something about when you're queer, when you're femme, when you're non-binary, when you're disabled, when you're black just showing up as who you are sometimes, especially when you have an intersection of multiple of those identities, right? Just showing up as who you are, just showing up in leadership itself can sometimes be a radical act. And that's sad, right? right. but it's true. And when I, I, I was saying, you know, on, on my Facebook feed the other day, like show up in all your joy, how radical would that be? And a lot of people were like, there's no joy today, it's COVID. Or, and I was like, well, what I'm trying to say is if you did, yeah. if you can access that, if you can show up with that, and I'm thinking about a pride parade, especially an early pride parade, right? I'm thinking about Stonewall. I'm thinking about those trans women throwing those stones. And I'm thinking about people showing up and saying, fuck you. I'm showing up exactly as I am in leadership. 
right? Making a change, moving something forward. This is a radical act. You know, yes, we can be we can be cynical about what's happening in the world, but the folks who are on the margins are really feeling the brunt of this, the, the many pandemics that we have, not just the virus, but all the other social ills. But, you, you know, if we, you look at our ancestors and the people who came before me, they didn't suffer through, you know, 350 years of enslavement in the United States. So I can sit here and poke my lip out about it. You know, I feel like I carry a responsibility and an obligation to move the ball forward towards having everyone's full humanity recognized. I think your question about like, you know, how radical would it be if we could like live in all of our joy is such, was such a great framing and such a great question because that's the whole point of this enterprise is to remove those barriers that keep us from living in our full joy. And yeah, we're not there yet, but I also think that it's important to to access that joy whenever possible. And that also is a part of the way that I manage my staff and, uh, and do the work. Yes, it's hard. And yes, you know, uh, you know there, there are times like now when it's, um, the load is heavy, but we also have, you know, we also gotta have fun with each other and enjoy each other. And, and to, me that, to me, that is also a queering of the work. Absolutely, I, and I love this and it's such a sensitive, topic people get very upset when you start talking about let's be happy let's try to be happy let's try to access joy let's try to celebrate because it's you know it's almost like uh, you're trying to take away from the bad things that are going on and that's not what we're saying but when i'm saying oppression is about making you unhappy oppression is about getting you stuck in your own head about how much things suck and how you know stuck you are and how unhappy you be so that you're distracted by that and you're not coming up to challenge supremacy, patriarchy, right? And so when you show up and you say, no, yeah, that's all going on. And yeah, that really fucking sucks. And yeah, it's happening right now. And yeah, I want to fight it every day. And also I'm going to show up and celebrate and I'm going to be in my joy and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be productive and I'm going to fucking step up and I'm going to come up here and I'm going to be sitting right beside you with a smile on my face. There's something really radical about that. And I want to convey that, you know, and I love, and you embody that so well. It's, it's one of my favorite things about you. The joy is futurism. What is it that we are fighting for? What is it that we want the world to look like? What do we, and I, I ask people that all the time. And like, you know, let's, let's envision the future uh, and not just in the negative, you know, not, not just in the, the absence of bad things. But like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like, right? What are the textures? Absolutely. You got to be able to see that outcome. You got to, and there's so many people, you know, and as we work in the movement, especially is we don't want to lose sight of what's wrong. Obviously we want to be focused on that, but we also want to be focused on how do we want it to look different? What are we moving toward? Right. What's the outcome here? So it's not just sitting here being like, this is shit. Mm-hmm. It's this is shit. And we could be doing this or part of this is shit. And part of this is great. And let's do more great stuff. It's why I started the third business, which is really arts focused, right? Because I feel like, I I think that artists have that ability to um, see things beyond the confines of boundaries and convention. Yeah. So that's, I think that's why I lean towards that discipline and that, and uh, and folks that are in it. When you talk about who's radical, who's, who's futurist, who's moving stuff forward, always look into the artists. And I love that you're showcasing artists that are coming up and that are diverse and that have different perspectives and different things to say and different things to show. I think that's really cool. You know, when you look back to, to entrepreneurship, you know, a lot of the people that watch this are, are queer folks who are just getting started in business or who are um, not even in business yet, that may be thinking about starting a business. 
uh, thinking about it as a way toward their own liberation. What advice would you give to somebody sitting at that stage? Just starting your business. I mean, I think there are a couple of tactical things, right? Get a good accountant, like <laughs> step one. Good. Uh, and not just someone who's like good with numbers, but uh, someone who also shares your perspective and your passion. I happen to find like the best accountant ever and she's been with me since almost day one. Uh, and not only does she give amazing advice, but I know that she's really rooting for me and cheering for me to do well and be successful. And I've probably brought her like 15, 20 clients since then because I just love her so much. So if you're in the DMV area, you need a good, you need a good accountant for your business, holler at me, I got you. And I think there, there's a little bit of trust your gut and. <laughs> so, you know, definitely trust your instincts. And I think I, I did a lot of this on instinct when I first started and I had no roadmap for this. Like, I don't have a model for this in my family necessarily. Uh, I didn't go to school for this. So I was just kind of making it up as I go. And I think luckily, like probably eight out of the 10 decisions were right on. <laughs> one that was sort of questionable. And then one was like, just terrible. Was like, yeah, no, I should have gone the exact opposite direction. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, but just listen to your own voice and then surround yourself with people who are smart and who do things and invest in that learning. That's how I found you. Uh, and and worked with you and that has been tremendously helpful just kind of um, helping me gain some some understanding and insight that I didn't have before um, yeah there's always going to be tons and tons of opinions coming through mm -hmm. right when especially when you start a business right everybody's got oh you're in business cool you know my uncle's dog's friend's cat had a business and here's what they did and here's how they got rich and and so a lot of what we do is, is, you know, talking about how to filter those opinions, because it's not that we don't want input from anybody else, obviously, input from the right people is really important, but making sure that at the end of the day that you're filtering all that input through your own gut, through your own instinct is so important and really probably the core definition of entrepreneurship. Yes, yes. And I think, I mean, you mentioned something too, and again, this is how you and I got to know each other. My purpose in becoming an entrepreneur wasn't to be like, oh, I'm going to start a business because I'm going to make a ton of money. You know, I wanted to do a thing in the world that I cared about. I also am not apologetic about being successful. You know, being successful allows me to do a lot of things, take care of my family, uh, you know, my extended family. It allows me to and take care of my village, my people, right? My chosen family. It allows me to feed people well and you know, like pay for all of their benefits, mm -hmm. uh, which I know is not something that, you know, a lot of people do, or that's not necessarily common or the way to think about it. It allows me to take care of people in a way. It will allow me to break the cycle of poverty that has haunted my, you know, my family for generations living in, you know, in capitalism. So I think maybe at some point there was like a sense of guilt or shame around being ambitious in that sense. And I no longer have that either. Like, no, I'm not in it just to be another cog in a capitalist wheel. But at the same time, you know, we all get to eat and wear nice shoes. And, and, and create fucking jobs and pay for health insurance and things like that. I think guilt and shame, least productive emotions, uh, absolutely tools of oppression. When anyone's doing something that elicits that in you, you got to question their motive and say, why, why does this person want to make me feel guilty? Why does this person want to make me feel ashamed? What is, either what are they projecting onto me that they feel or what is it, what's the motive that either consciously or subconsciously that they, uh, to keep me from doing things because making me feel guilt or shame is always just going to curl me up in a little ball and then I'm not going to actually do things and they know it, right? Yeah. And I think it's a little bit, there's a difference between guilt and shame and having an analysis of the system in which we were operating, <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, all these systems, patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, these are all systems that we 
are, we're all trying to navigate, right? That we're all in it and we can try to, and we should try to decolonize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at, the, at a certain point we're, uh, you know, you're operating within the system as you dismantle it. And that's always a lot yeah. to unpack. Yeah. yeah. But you're doing the damn thing and you're doing it every day, one foot in front of the other. And you're taking care of a lot of people while you do it. So awesome example to up and coming queer entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Queer Hustle today and to talk to all of us. And we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck to everyone out there. You're going to do great. And, you know, talk to this one because she uh, she has all the answers. <laughs> Not all the answers, but, you know, maybe some of them. Thanks so much, Carol. <laughs> we'll talk to you. you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Queer Hustle. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit michellecoyle.com slash podcast. There, you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash queerhustle. Until we meet again next week, go out there and let it shine.